Hello and welcome to another Scotland's Choice Westminster Roundup. I'm Brendan O'Hara, MP for Gatlin Butte, and with us today we have... I'm Kirsty Blackman, I'm the MP for Aberdeen North, and I'm looking forward to anyway interesting discussion today about what's been happening in and around Westminster. I'm Drew Hendry MP, the MP for Inverness and there in and Strathspey. And I'm David London, the SNP MP for Glasgow East. Well, it's been a busy old week. Suppose we can say when's it not. And on our agenda today, we've food price, uh, the incredible inflation figures, uh, mortgage and we're also sorry. We're also going to be talking about um, Suella Braverman and the scandals that she's found herself embroiled in, and of course Boris Johnson is back in the news again. And we've had Keir Starmer wittering on about immigration this week as well. And of course David Lyndon's produced that paper for us for the Scotland's Choice website on the absolute wastes that have been uh, accrued by the UK government here and on the rollout of universal credit. So we'll be talking about that. We've got the retained EU law bill going through Parliament at the moment, which I think underlines the importance of us getting back into EU. And there's our lovely bell in the background, just to remind us we're at Westminster. And of course, uh, we'll be talking about independence because if we went back into the EU, that's the way to do it. Absolutely. But I think we'd probably best start off with the issue of food price inflation. And it was good to see Stephen bringing it up today and that the figures that he quoted, the rise in the, the basics, you know, the, the bread, milk, pasta, eggs is absolutely incredible. So when people sort of blithely talk about, oh, inflation's come down to 9%, that doesn't tell half the story. If you're a, a family on a low wage or a minimum wage or you're on universal credit and you see your milk, butter, cheese, eggs, pasta going up 20 plus percent, it must be absolutely terrifying. And it was good to see Stephen brought it up today. And if you, if any of our listeners haven't heard the Prime Minister's answer, listen to it and you'll see a man who neither cares nor understands what food price inflation means as well. It shows just how out of touch I should say has. And quite aside from the fact he's installed this swimming pool in his house and all that and stuff, I think the reason why it was so important for Stephen to go on this today was that we are six, seven days out from payday. And far too many families across Scotland are looking at their bank account and wondering how in the earth they're going to afford that next basket of shopping. So it is so important that with everything else we're on at Westminster that we keep that focus on the cost of living crisis and make sure that we are reflecting back what's the biggest priority for people. And I know that all of us are in the stable living at the doorsteps. And the biggest concern is those spiraling mortgage bills and the energy bill. And actually, in terms of the cost of living stuff, right? Um, you are going to the supermarket and you're looking at the fact that margarine is a fiver. You know, it's unbelievable how expensive this stuff is. But if you look at inflation, right, inflation has fallen. But food prices are still going up. Everything's still going up. Just because it just, they're just going up slightly less quickly than they were before. It's 18% for a loaf of bread, I think uh, Stephen was quoting. Yeah. You know, these are dramatic figures. I know a lot of the basic foodstuffs, like rice and pasta and so forth, have seen enormous jumps. Yeah, and you know, we now find ourselves in a situation, my goodness, where it's 2023 and we've got baby formula, which is security tagged and behind the counter. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is the, the level of desperation that people are after at the moment. And my goodness, that, that, that flies in the face of everything we were told at Brexit, where, you know, good prices would be cheaper. And now it would. Well, it also flies in the face of everything we were told in 2014, that if you voted for independence, that your food prices would rocket and, you know, the world would come crashing down about your ears. Well, that's been shown to be the nonsense it is. And 
to, to go to a supermarket, you know, 10 years ago, you go to a supermarket and you'd see a, a security tag and a bottle of whiskey. You're now seeing security tags on butter. Yeah. It's just beyond belief. Nobody, if you try to tell people 2014 that this would be the reality of a Tory, of voting no, getting a Tory government and being dragged out of the European Union, they'd have thought you were mad. It's important as well just to realise, though, that it doesn't have to be like this. There are countries like France, for example, that have got um, blocks and food prices. Um, so they cannot walk up a certain level. Um, and at some point, the UK government is going to have to intervene here because the message that we all hear them back home is that people just cannot cope with this. Um, and failure to act in the part of the UK government is just it's not enough. And that's why I think it was right just to push that today. And of course, this the inflation rates and what's been put in train by the UK government here at Westminster, you know, and very, very softly challenged by the official opposition and the Labour benches is something that's hurting, not just those who are desperate, not just those who are at the absolute bottom of the, that financial run, the, the, you know, those who are seriously disadvantaged, the people who normally be punished, the most being punished even more, but there are now people in middle incomes who are starting to struggle. And when you look at some of the things that are happening now, then, you know, that there's some, there's a whole lot more pain being rolled in for people, isn't it? Yeah, there is. And one of the things that is really coming past, coming to, coming to fruition right now is the results of um, what happened last year when we had the very short-lived premiership of Liz Truss and um, we had the economy crashed overnight with that mini-budget. Um, what we're seeing as a result of that, as a result of the inflation that we're seeing, is a massive increase in interest rates. Now, I don't know if you guys have um, looked at remortgaging or anything recently, but I have, and it has absolutely gone through the roof. The amount that we're going to be expected to pay at the end of our fixed term is just a, a, a totally different to the current amount. Yeah, I, I was in a situation, and you know, unfortunately, so far as I'm an MP and I'm in a good salary, but you know, I was in a situation where my fixed rate expired in the autumn, um, and so the mortgage has increased by 100%. As a result, now that is because we've had this economic test tube situation by Liz Trust and Quasi Ponting. But the reality is that mortgages are still far, far too high. And more and more people, as those fixed rate deals start to expire, it are really starting to feel the squeeze. And it's all as a result of the economic mismanagement of the UK. This, this is uh, price rises in the, the petrol pumps for people that need to get about. It's inflation, it's mortgage. There's also an element out there. There is there is an element out there, a price gouging. Without doubt. And yeah. I, I think that, that, that that's why Stephen was right today to talk about, for example, the Competition Markets Authority stepping in because we are beginning to see people behaving irresponsibly. And at the time when the most vulnerable people in society are being terms of that price gouging, it is always the poorest in society yeah. that pay the highest cost. Yeah. And that's why we need that action from the UK government. Now, I happen to think it's very unlikely the UK government is going to step in because for all those Tory ministers, all those millionaires sitting on the front bench, they don't feel the effects of price gouging, but it's the people, whether it's in Aberdeen, whether it's Helensprat, Inverness, and Shetlston, who feel that impact of price gouging, and that's why the UK government... And, and they feel it really, really hard. And the thing about it, even if the UK government acts now, they'll be way behind some of the European uh, partners in terms of the action they've already taken to look at how they can uh, challenge some of this price gouging that's going on in the market. Yeah, there's a real perfect storm for folk. I mean, you know, people are going, you kind of 
you kind of avoid buying pasta or rice. You know, you need to buy staples like that, right? So they're, they're, people are going to the supermarket. They're they're buying these things that are going up in price. They're still having to pay for energy, which is you know massively increased in price. Yeah. You can't have you can't avoid paying housing costs either. You yeah. know, um, all of these things are not things that you can just say, well. I will not buy that third mm-hmm. car like some of the yeah. Tories can possibly do, you know? We're, we're going to be talking about universal credit later, but the, the UK government could do something now. Um, they could they could match some of the, the um, support that the Scottish government. Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's really a bit of things like the um, you know, Scottish child payment, the, the Scottish government has brought forward that with a view just trying to tackle things like poverty. But, you know, I, I do find myself getting frustrated that the Scottish government is having to use its devolved budget to, to step in and mitigate the, the failures of the UK social security system. Uh, take, for example, the fact that we spent something like 89 billion pounds a year mitigating the bedroom tax. Mm, yeah. That's money that could be spent on the education system, transport or health. Uh, but as a result of these short-sighted policies that happen here at Westminster, the Scottish government's having to step in and use this default budget. That is not what the purpose of devolution was for. So yeah, great that there are things like Scottish children, but all this we need a lot easier than the UK government going and doing something like Putin. And it's important to say putting it back. Oh, <laughs> because they took this away. They recognised during the pandemic. They took it away and it presented yeah. the, the single biggest draw uh, uh, in terms of social security spending since mm-hmm. the formation of the modern welfare yeah. state. That, mm-hmm. that, that's the kind of thing that the UK government does. Well, we're, we're going to talk about Prime Minister's questions in a wee minute, but there's been other things going on in Westminster this week. Hasn't there it? has been other things. There was an urgent question um, about the situation around Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, because, oh, I mean, there's just scandal after scandal with her, she, right? Now, she's already had to resign or be sacked because of a breach of the, the code. And then days later, this was bizarre, days later, reinstated as uh, Home Secretary. Aye, which was a totally bizarre decision by Rishi Sunak. I've, yeah. no, I've no idea why he thought she yeah, was so the best So she broke the ministerial code for, for leaking emails um, out um, against all security uh, concerns and then back in place. So just for context, and now just again, bring us up to date. Right, so, so that's where we started. She was using her personal phone through government stuff. Now we've had revelations come out over over the weekend um, about the fact that she was caught speeding. Now, lots of people are caught speeding, right? There's, you know, uh, it's not, not a great thing to do, but, you know, it's something that quite a lot of people do. But when she was caught speeding, rather than, you know, pay the fine like normal human beings do or um, do the speed awareness course, she went to see officials and said, could I please have a private speed awareness course arranged for me? (laughs) Um, So uh, Rishi Sunak has been looking into this. And, uh, uh, you know, the bizarre thing, right? So if you're going to have an investigation on a breach of the ministerial code, what needs to happen is the prime minister needs to agree that there has been a breach in the ministerial code and that we should have an uh, investigation on it. Um, so it's all within his remit. Uh, so he's had a look at it and decided that there's not going to be one. But then, while we were even having the conversation about this speeding yeah. thing, another revelation came to light about a breach of the ministerial code. So um, she was heavily involved in a charity that worked in Africa. She's one of the trustees. Mm-hmm. She's all of this. All of this information has been found in places like Companies House. You know, it's all verified. Um, and she worked very heavily with people that are now members of the yeah. Rwandan government, senior members of the Rwandan government. Yeah. Now, I don't know if um, people are making the link in their minds between um, us shipping immigrants, um, deporting refugees to uh, Rwanda, but you know we're in a situation which hasn't declared this interest. 
Um, but she's got these really close links with people mm. in the Rwandan government and she didn't think it was relevant to declare it. So I think there should be an investigation on that one as well. Uh, absolutely. It seems quite bizarre that they can continue to um, to kind of allow somebody who's repeatedly broken the ministerial code, who's under such uh, pressure. But of course, we know it's because the right wing of the uh, of the Tory party are just absolutely desperate to keep one of their own uh, close to Rishi Sunak, aren't they? It's right wing enough. I don't like the, them that desperate. The Boris Johnson stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, Boris Johnson has also been referred to the police by the Cabinet Office yeah. um, because of the fact that they've still got his ministerial diaries from COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, the ministerial diaries talk about all of the people that came to visit Checkers during the course of the time that none of us were allowed to leave our houses, mm-hmm. never mind how people to visit. So they've just had to refer that straight to the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that the Cabinet Office have had to do that. But already... Did, you know, did, did this, am I right in saying this? This only came out because the taxpayer's money has been used to pay his legal fees, yeah. Boris Johnson's legal fees. But if he'd paid his own legal fees, none of this would have come to light. I, I think, actually, I think some of it did also. I've heard Bedian reports right. on that, but there was some of it was um, getting prepared for the uh, COVID inquiry that there's going to be. So they were looking through the ministerial diaries yeah. on the basis of that. But you're right, the taxpayer is paying for Boris Johnson to defend himself. Well, um, in these circumstances, which I mean, Matt is just uh, again, like Suella Braverman, he's scandal after yeah, scandal. Right. Right? But this yeah. we're only paying for his legal fees and not paying for his job. Being. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's God, going back slightly, um, I, I take what, what, what you say about Braverman. I think you know that that I reckon Sunak would love to get rid of Braverman, but what she brings to the table in terms of keeping the yeah, I mean, look, the extremists on the quiet. day that we're recording this, we've got the the, the spectre of the ER gene fighting with the UK government. The reality is that Sunak just can't let us forward to mm-hmm. take action against Braverman because he's fighting an old front of them, and it'll just work. But it, but it does show you though that the, the power of of the hard right in the UK. So we were what happens just before PMQ Stephen will come into the office as as Chief Whip Stephen will come in. I always see this question. Obviously, it's a really good question. I like that. You know, today he, he he gave this question, which again we talked about food price inflation and whatnot. But things that people that matter. To yeah, and, and and my my only concern was that with Starmer having six questions, that it was such an obvious thing to go on. But Starmer stood up, and all he wanted to do was try and show the Tories being weak on immigration, trying to outright wing the Tories on immigration. On a day like today, I just think that's a party that has lost its way. It's a party that has lost its moral compass. But on a day like today, when hardworking families are being squeezed dry, he wanted to go on immigration. And there was gas. But I, think, I think it's indicative of somebody who probably isn't that interested in Scotland. Um, and what you see with that strategy is all Keir Starmer is interested in is the votes of English Tory market towns. And that's why he is going on immigration as much as possible. He, he does not care about what people are thinking in Scotland. It is all about those red wall seats. It's all about those market towns. They think, and I think they're wrong, both in terms of morally wrong and economically wrong, but they think that going on immigration is the thing that will win them the next election. We all know, though, that if you have two negative campaigns, the most negative campaign tends to win. And the idea that you can outdo the Tories on negative messaging with immigration 
is just such a fallacy. And I think, unfortunately, that the chickens will come home to roost for standards in that respect when it comes to the long-term plans. But to see a party that advocates solidarity, socialism, community, standing up and scapegoating migrants and trying to kind of do this kind of strongman routine, bordering almost, and, you know, how really is quite sad. Yeah. I mean, I think he actually, at one point, he, he more or less said, British jobs for British workers, which if you're old enough as, as we are, Drew, you know, you remember the extreme, the extreme farm right in the UK. That was one of the slogans in the 1970s, the old British jobs for British workers. And yeah, it, it was, it was horrible. I must point out, I was just the boy, but yes, I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't fair, it was actually, it was used even more recently. We've got the 10 general election as well. Um, and we, we know what happened to, mm. to Labour going into 2010. Mm. So mm. this idea that you can outdo the Tories and immigration it, it is politically it, um, And that's it's usually depressing as well. It, and of course, you know, whilst they're adopting these right-wing, uh, your policies in the, the, the Labour Party, you know, they're also U-turning a whole bunch of things. You know, they've, they've, they've as we've seen, they've said they're not going to uh, turn over, they're not going to get rid of some of the laws that have been brought in by the Tories, you know, even the ones that are, you know, they haven't even committed to getting rid of the ones that are really horrible about the anti-protest laws and things that they've brought in recently. They're not going to uh, reform uh, universal credit or they were going to scrap it. One that was one of their policies that said they were going to. Yeah, I mean, absolutely forward. everything the Circular Starman and his pro-Brexit Labour Party have said, you cannot trust. I mean, everything yeah. he said during mm. the leadership campaign, he's you turned on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, as he thinks he's in the kind of the, the cusp of going into government, he's mm-hmm. literally willing to sell his granny. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right to touch on that issue of universal credit. And the universal credit is a system that is uh, absolutely flawed and requires a huge amount of reform. You've um, um, written a paper for Scotland's Choice website about this. Can you kind of explain some of those failures that there's been and some of the wastage that there is in the system? Well, we're now approaching the 10-year anniversary of universal Yikes. credit, uh, you know, being starting to be rolled out. And we look at some of the costs. I mean, one of the things that, that Drew focuses on quite a lot, and I think we, we need to see more people talking about it, is the amount of waste that comes from Westminster. Uh, that annual report that shows something like, you know, £8 billion has been wasted in terms of the rollout of that programme. The universal credit... £8 billion has been wasted in the rollout of universal yeah, credit. £8 billion. Um, so when you, when you start to talk about it, you can have slightly smaller amount, uh, as perhaps uh, parties in the Scottish Parliament tend to do, they, they do so at the expense of talking about these huge, huge eye-watering sums of money that are wasted by UK government projects. But universal credit in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. There are things that we can do to try and reform it. For example, deal with the five-week wait. Um, I actually think that there's a bit of scope for us to get into some sort of cross-party agreement on this, but we should not lose sight of astronomical amounts of money that have been frittered away by this Tory government on a programme that is completely out of control. And actually the failure is, I mean, you know, obviously it's cost taxpayer money as well, but for the experience of individuals as well, you know, going through the universal credit system, it's not been brilliant either, has it? No, and it's essentially those who were subject to the universal credit system early on have been used as a kind of, you know, claimant gym pitch. And that's why we see, for example, all of those food parcel stats from the Brussels Trust going through the roof. And a lot of it is because it's the, it's the least the benefits, it's problems with income, all of which are associated with the problems that emanate from the DWP. Um, so if, if the UK government had just given us a bit more thought we wouldn't be in a situation where we've wasted £8 billion pounds, and unfortunately we wouldn't be in a situation where so many people have been plunged into the destitution by the government whose job it is to look after them. Well, 
It's, uh, it's a depressing, depressing tale, but it's, it's not unique to this government. I mean, like today, for example, we've got the, the routine EU law bill, Lord's amendments coming back. So there's going to be four hours of a debate on what's come back from the House of Lords. And yeah, what's come back from the House of Lords is thin gruel, it has to be said. You know, that this utterly, utterly dreadful piece of legislation, the Lords are trying to make it slightly, very, ever so slightly less unpleasant than it is. And I'm reminded of the old adage that something in life you just can't polish. <laughs> and this is yeah. routine DU law bill is certainly one of them. Can you, can you explain what it does? It, it does so much. It, 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 it strips so much harm. <laughs> so much harm. It strips yeah. away all of those laws, all of those protections that we've enjoyed for the last 40 odd years as members of the, 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 the European Union, whether it be in worth of rights, whether it be in Advanced environmental. This is, this is a guillotine, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, not, it's, it's, it's a bonfire. It, it, yeah, yeah. One it cuts ahead of yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, whether it's the same food standards, whether it's animal welfare, environmental standards, you know, basically all of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, not thousands of things that we take for granted every single day are now up for grabs. And there is a bonfire of EU legislation. And we are now in a a race to the bottom uh, in terms of our protections and what we can enjoy as a society and as individuals as they just... We've we just seen Rachel Reeves from Labour come out and say, regardless of all this, um, they're not going to look to get back into the European Union. They're not going to look to get back into the customs union. They're not going to look to get back into the single market. They're going to make Brexit work. We can't make Brexit exactly. work. And the, the, you know, the, the, the very beginning of this discussion, we spoke about those high food prices. Mm -hmm. um, that is a perfect example of how Brexit has not worked. Mm -hmm. Yes, inflation is a part of that, but the reality is that a lot of the problems, whether it's supply chain issues, all of those kind of things are associated with Brexit. And it goes back to this point that in the desperation to get into government, Labour are quite happy to sail down the river all of those you know, policies, all of those values that most of us hold dear with a view to trying to chase a few Tory votes in English market towns and think we'll get them into government. And that is not the answer for Scotland. And that's why Scotland needs the choice mm -hmm. to take a different path. And, and, and we've just seen a poll which has come out which shows that 70% of people uh, in Scotland believe that Brexit's been an absolute failure. So they're not persuading anybody with that argument in terms no, no, of... absolutely not. I, and I, I often think of Keir um, Starmer and Richie Sunak. It's like King Canute. You know, when Richie Sunak, Kingston, sitting in the shore saying, I'm going to hold back the tide, obviously, <laughs> you have not. Yeah. But rather than Keir Starmer saying to him, you can't do that, he says, no, move over. I'll let me have a go. I can do it. It's a pinch. I've got it's, an image of him there in a beach towel with two seats on absolute it. It's <laughs> They are trying to stop the tide. Hmm. And every economic forecaster says it can't happen. Every analysis says that Brexit has been damaging and will only be more damaging in the future. And rather than being honest, this guy's lust to get himself into 10 Downing Street. He is prepared to deny self-evident truths on Brexit. And it's, it's despicable. And, and we have to bring this Brexit conversation, this the fact that we're not in the EU, back to the issue that the, the Tories and Labour Party are falling over themselves to talk about immigration and stopping people coming here just now, whilst we've lost 
all the EU workers that we needed. And, you know, and particularly if you look at constituencies in the Highlands and rural Scotland, where we needed all these EU workers in the care sector, we need them in hospitality, we need them in, uh, you know, in, in all kinds of parts of the, the economy that we have. And we, we need young people. I mean, we've suffered for, uh, you know, all the time from people leaving as opposed to people coming in and the, all these young families that we need to reinvigorate our communities are being blocked by that. Scotland's problem has never been immigration. Right. Our problem has been immigration. Right. Absolutely. And, and this is why this, this kind of short-sighted policy mm -hmm. of using migration as some sort of vehicle to win votes will not find favour in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Because we're a welcoming country. And we also understand as well that probably the biggest threat to our national health service mm -hmm. now is an intransigent UK government, either from the Tories or from Labour, because this desire to stop people coming here means that we will not have staff to work in our National Health Service. Mm -hmm. yeah. We face the situation of our National Health Service falling over in about 10 years' time because both Labour and the Tories have got the exact same policy on migration, which is no answer to the, the nursing mm -hmm. and short workflow colleges. Exactly. Yeah, so, but we look what they're doing today. You know, this whole student visa thing, you know, it, it's been showing that. Students and their dependents uh, coming to the UK is a huge economic boost to the, the country. And the vast, vast majority of them come to the UK, do their degrees or their masters and leave again, leaving behind, you know, an economic benefit. But in order to bring the numbers down, that headline number down, they've just put a red pen through them and say, no, you can't come anymore. That's how short-sightedly stupid you know, this government You know, is. that's a fine point, but you're supposed to do the mic drop at the end of your sta uh, statement as opposed to during the middle of it there. I should I will take the blame for another colleague. <laughs> 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 so, Ed, you, we're, we're coming to the end of our time, uh, unfortunately, because we could talk about this for a lot longer, as you might imagine, but um, I think it's important to reflect on your promotion. Uh, David. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've not told anybody about it, obviously. I'm going to come back. No, I'm going to tell everybody about that. After 19 long years, I finally got to see Air to get promoted in their own right. And the nicest thing was I was able to do it with my son, Isaac. Yeah, oh, fantastic. So it was very good. I really enjoyed it. And, and there was a, there was something about a colouring book, I believe, yeah, the initially there. <laughs> I put my poor vest, mate. Um, so my daughter's four years old, and sometimes a long day at the football can just be a bit challenging for her. So I took a colouring book, but my poor mate, who is a very respected assistant editor at the Daily Record, was caught on camera uh, unfurling a colouring book. That's probably slightly more, uh, slightly more of a literary, literacy challenge than his newspaper. <laughs> uh, but no, in all honesty, it went yeah. viral and it was very uh, good fun to watch. And of course, you've now got uh, that memory indelibly uh, in your, your mind of know your friends. Not that. just in my memory, yeah. I have got it ordered on a yeah. bug for him. To remember <laughs> That's what I was looking to tease out there, David. <laughs> and of course, what this means now is that uh, given, well, what could happen tonight, we could all be going to see the Edward Blinko Manor can uh, the lower leagues of Scottish football next season. So you and Mr. Brown, well, it's, it's actually, it's even better than that. It's basically between Alan Brown or Stephen Flynn. Mm. Uh, so it's whether Kilmarnock or Dundee United come down. So many respects, it's Lynn, it's like two ball nine fighting over a goal. Very good. Well, well, and on that rather unsavoury an unwelcome note <laughs> it just remains to say a huge thank you to both David Linden and Kirsty Blackman for joining us today and we will be back 
very, very, very soon very indeed. Soon. So thank you once again for listening to Scotland's Choice. You can catch more episodes of Scotland's Choice at scotlandschoice.scot. See you next time. Goodbye. Thank you.